Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. How are you doing tonight? Doing good? Good to see you today. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are grateful that you're here with us this Christmas. Uh, To everybody online, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, We hope that you're having a great time at your homes, wherever you're at today. So I wanted to start, we're going to talk about Jesus tonight, so hopefully that's okay. I figure, you know, it's appropriate, right? Uh, So I wanted to start with this story that I read recently uh, in a book called Speaking of Jesus, and it was of a man named Carl and his trip to Iraq. He was in this town named uh, Basra in Iraq in the early 2000s, and he was there, and one day uh, the hotel manager came up to him because it was rare for a non-military person to be there at that time, as you can uh, figure out pretty easily. And so he was there, and the, the hotel manager came up to him, and he said, Sir, can I just ask, what are you doing in Basra? Like, why, why are you here? And Carl smiled, and he said, Well, we're here because we heard that Jesus is here, and we wanted to see what he was up to. And the hotel manager liked that reply, but he also had this strange twinkle in his eye, and he was like, wait, Isa, which is the Muslim name for, for Jesus, he said, Isa is in Basra, and you know this. And Carl was like, yes, yes, we heard that he was here. We want to see what he's up to. And so the hotel manager goes, wait, can I just call my brother real quick? I have to tell him about this. So he picks up the phone, and he calls his brother, and within one minute, three guys in suits walk into uh, the hotel lobby and go straight towards Carl and his friends, which made them a little bit nervous. They weren't sure what was getting ready to happen. And they go straight up, and one of them grabs his hand and shakes it and says, you're the one who knows Isa." And Carl smiled, and he said, yes. He said, let me tell you a story. When I was growing up in our town, there was a man who came, and he told us the stories of Jesus. He told us about the miracles that Jesus did, about the teachings of Jesus. And when he left, he left a little cassette tape. That might take us back a little bit. A cassette tape with all of the stories and the the teachings of Jesus for us to listen to. And my dad would play it every night before we went to bed for 10 years. Every single night until it finally basically disintegrated into nothing as cassette tapes did. Uh, you might have a less spiritual uh, version of that experience uh, in your past. Uh, you know, there could be a tape that you've seen disintegrate. And he said, ever since then, we haven't had anything to tell us the stories of Jesus. He said, but my father told me that there was this sacred book. And in this book, there were all the stories. Do you have this book that tells us about Jesus? And Carl was really excited. He said, yes, I do. So he ran up to his hotel room like taking three stairs at a time, and he starts throwing everything apart because they had spent their time actually giving away Bibles already that were translated into Arabic. So he was out. And so he starts looking. He's like, I don't know that I have anything left. And he found one, Gospel of Luke, translated into Arabic, and he ran back downstairs, and he handed it to this man. The man took it, and he brought it to his lips, and then he kind of hugged it, and then he started to read And as he read, a smile grew on his face and tears began to pour down from his eyes. He said, these are the stories that I remember. He says, I need to call my father. So he went over and he calls his father on the phone in the hotel lobby. 
And five to 10 minutes later, an elderly Iraqi gentleman walks into the lobby of this hotel. He goes up to his son. His son holds out this gospel of Luke to him. He takes it. He again holds it up to his lips, and then he hugs it. And then he starts to read. Again, a smile grows on his face. Tears pour down his eyes. And he says, this, this is the story of Jesus. Tonight, my hope is that we'll meet Jesus in that same way that those men did in that town in Basra. And that we'll walk away changed in the same way that they were changed by that simple encounter with stories of a king who came to change everything. When they were reading, they would have came very quickly upon these these words in chapter 2. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. You know, I'm not really looking to talk just about Jesus, although I think that talking about Jesus is good. But my hope is that we actually meet him. Because meeting Jesus is different than talking about Jesus. And if you've met him, you know that difference. There's something huge. It's, it's worlds apart. Because when we meet him, all of a sudden, everything changes. And my hope is that like those gentlemen in Iraq, that when we meet Jesus, that we'll be filled with awe and wonder at who he is and what it is that he's come to do in our lives and in our world. My hope is that like the shepherd that when we see Jesus in front of us, that everything about us, the trajectory of our lives will be changed because we've encountered the one who could change it. My hope is that when we meet Jesus, we will walk out of here different. Our series this Christmas season was called Perusia, which is a weird uh, church word. I fully acknowledge that reality. Uh, It's a Greek word that means this. It means uh, official visit, presence, or inbreaking. And we've spent this month asking for Jesus to break in in big ways. Because we felt that he was just nudging us and saying, like, you know, the nostalgia of Christmas is really good. I'm about as nostalgic as you get. I like to watch all the movies every single year. I start listening to Christmas music way before Halloween. Um, And the Mariah Carey Christmas album is the best Christmas album of all time. You can be wrong, and that's fine, you know? Like, it's just the reality of it. Like, that matters, you know? That's important. But all of that to the side, what's really important is that we meet Jesus. Because in meeting him, things become different. So if you've never met him, I want to introduce him to you. And if you have met Jesus, there's something good for you here, too. Because I think this Christmas, Jesus wants to push us to ask him for what it is that we really want for what it is that we really need in our hearts, in the lives of those that we love, in our world, to ask him with a firm belief that he's going to come and do something this Christmas. Not just hoping that, you know, a baby in a crib, but believing in the real Jesus who is still alive today. So we're going to pray and ask Jesus to come and to speak to us, and then we're going to read the Christmas story and jump in. So will you pray with me? Jesus, I just thank you for uh, Christmas. I thank you for this time that we get to all come together to celebrate you, to celebrate what it is that you did, that you had a plan that was bigger than anything we would have ever put together, 
uh, a plan that stretched out through millennia that is still continuing on to this day because you're still alive and you're still here. And I pray that you'll come and that you will change us. Change our hearts, bring healing, bring freedom, bring wholeness. We, we want you this Christmas. And so we ask for you to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, open up. If you want a Bible, there's lots in the back uh, in multiple different languages. So grab what works for you. And let's read from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Here's what it says. At that time, the Roman emperor decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because G Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. But they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened that the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it was just as the angel had told them. <laughs> right, right, perfect. Just as good as Charlie Brown's Christmas, right, Lily? Uh, <laughs> if you've ever wondered what Mary, the mother of Jesus, was like, all you have to do is read verse 19, right? It gives you this, like, intimate glimpse into how she worked. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Everybody else is astonished, shocked, in awe, unsure of what to do, and Mary's just sitting there thinking about it, pondering. Like, she's just chilling, relaxed, you know, just seeing what's going on. You know, and when you look at Mary's life, it's not like it was easy at this point. Her life was wrecked. 
there was not much going for her at this point other than Joseph. Like, there was nothing good. You look at her like she was pregnant, and no one knew who the real father was. I mean, she said it was the Holy Spirit or God or something, but nobody believes that. And nobody thinks that it's actually Joseph because he's respectable. So that's not going well for her. You think about the fact, have you ever thought about the fact that she was sent on a trip halfway across the country when she was like nine and a half months pregnant? on a donkey. That tells you that her parents weren't too worried about her well-being at this point in the game, right? I like, I mean, let's be honest here. Like you wouldn't do that to your kid, hopefully. Like that would be pretty brutal. So she's not in with her family. Uh, Basically, the only thing she has going for is that Joseph still likes her and is keeping her around, but they're not even married. They haven't even reached the point where she would be obligated to go with him to do the census. She should still be with her father, counted among his family, who she is still a part of. Mary's life is not going particularly well at this point. And yet, when all of this is going to town, like everything's going wrong, what is she, how does she respond? She sits back and she takes it all in. She's so unique. I mean... Most historians think that she was somewhere between 13 to 16. I've never met a 13 to 16-year-old. Sorry if there's one in the room that is this. Well done, if so. But I've never met a 13 to 16-year-old who would take all of this stuff, and their response would be to sit back and just take it all in. Like, that is not a normal response. This is abnormal in all the ways. It's rare. But her reaction to all of this was to treasure and ponder it in her heart. What's that mean? Well, it's pretty simple. When you break down these words, so you get this model of waiting. Treasured means to keep it close to the chest. She's not letting other people see what's going on. She's just processing it all on her own. And pondered or thought about often means to just really internalize it, process it, analyze it in her own head. She's not talking to people about it. She's taking notes, maybe keeping a journal, and going about her business. That's how she's responding to all of this. She's processing it on her own. And it just shows such tremendous wisdom in her willingness to wait. You know, she wasn't given a guidebook on how to raise Jesus well. There would be some, like, serious pressure with this. Like, an angel shows up and tells you you're going to have the Son of God. Like, which school do I send him to? Like, I mean, which rabbi is he supposed to be tutored by? Uh, You know, I'm not sure I make enough money to put him in the right places for this. Like, how am I supposed to do this? Like, what's the guidebook here? She's not an an au pair or a live-in nanny who has all the answers. It's just, good luck, 14-year-old Mary, here you go. That's all that she had, just her and reliance on God. She didn't know his life trajectory. She simply waited and watched and took it all in. And I think the only reason that she could possibly do that is because she believed that God was good and that God was always moving, that he wasn't stopping, that he wasn't just taking a backseat on it, but that he was the one driving this entire process. Advent, this season that leads up to Christmas and uh, the church calendar, is this time of anticipating uh, the coming of Jesus. And we're not anticipating uh, another baby coming and filling the crib. That's not what we're looking for. That that happened once. It's good. Uh, It's not happening again. 
what we're looking forward to when Jesus returns again is something that we have no idea what it's going to look like. I don't know. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know where he's going to come. I don't know what it's going to mean when he comes. I don't know how it's going to change everything. We're given almost nothing other than the fact that he said that he's coming back. And so we wait. And waiting takes a certain amount of knowing that God is good and that God is active in our world still. There's a uh, South African writer and pastor from the 19th century named Andrew Murray who wrote this. He said, the hope of that glorious appearing will strengthen you in waiting upon God for what he is going to do in you now. The hope of him coming again makes us strong for anticipating that he's up to something right now because he's moving now. He's active and he's good. You know, I am not particularly good at waiting. Mary is much better than I am. When I was her age, uh, I was terrible at it. And I was a terrible uh, saver. Like, I did not do it at all. And my parents didn't force me to, which means when I graduated, I had zero dollars in my bank accounts. Like, it was bad. Like, nothing there. So when I got my license, I didn't have anything to buy a car with at all. Like, no options at all. Uh, And I got my license when I was a little bit older. I was 17. I got it because... Well, it was delayed. You know, I grew up in farm country. So, like, everybody learned how to drive a tractor when they were 13 or 14, uh, except for me. My parents were pastors, so I I didn't have that luxury. Uh, But that's what I grew up around. So everybody else was driving, and I wasn't. And it was because I did this little thing where I drove my parents' minivan into the garage. (laughs) And when I pulled it back out, because obviously driving into the wall isn't good, um, I scraped a two-foot gash on the passenger side, the entire passenger side. Um, (laughs) So having consequences for bad driving was uh, reasonable, I guess. Um, I don't think I agreed with it at that point, but, you know, I I understood why a little bit. So when I finally got my license, I bought the only car that I could buy. It was $500. It was as old as I was. The paint was peeling on the outside. Uh, It had dashboard things that were still glued to it um, because other people before me had made bad life decisions. And the leather on the inside looked like a cat and a dog had been released with their claws out for an hour and a half. Like, it was uncomfortable to sit on because it poked up at you in all the wrong spots. Like, this car was hideous. So when it died six months later, nobody was surprised. Uh, You know, uh, although it was a bummer because I had to go back to, like, riding my bicycle, bicycle like, a mo- like a middle schooler, and that was a little embarrassing, but, you know, that's what it is. So I had no plan because I didn't save. I didn't plan for anything at all. Thankfully, my dad had a plan. My grandpa had passed away. He left his car, and so my dad and my aunt decided they were going to give me his car, which was great. He didn't tell me about it, so I just kept riding my bike around town, like doing that thing, uh, until finally in the summer, he went to Arizona to pick up the car. He told me that he was going to drive it back, and then it was mine. Two weeks, and then it was mine. Finally, I was so excited. It pulled into the driveway, the end of that trip. I didn't wait for him to get out. I, like, basically threw my dad out of the car, jumped in, and I was out. Freedom was finally mine again at like 17 and a half. I was ready like to be able to have this freedom again. Now, 
this car was a 1996 Ford Taurus, gray on gray. That is definitely a grandpa's car. There was no chance that it was anything other than a grandpa's car. It was purchased by a man in his 80s. Like, this was how it was supposed to be. Uh, like, it's, who is it made for and how it was supposed to be driven? It did not look like the right car for a 17-year-old uh, who wanted to show off his newfound freedom. But I didn't care. I loved it. It was perfect for me because I was terrible at making my own plans. You know, often what we end up with is different than what we expected. It's different than what we maybe would have worked towards if we would have made it happen on our own. But it's always worth the wait. What have you been waiting for? What have you been asking God for in your life? Is there a chance that Jesus wants to give you something that maybe comes in a little bit of a different box than what you expect? Doesn't mean that it's worse. And in fact, maybe even better for you but it just looks a little different than what you would have purchased for yourself. It's a gift to be able to accept what we've been waiting for with grace and with joy. Jesus didn't come in a way that was expected at all. The shepherds are the biggest sign of this. The shepherds are just out doing their thing. Like, they're not the people you would tell to go tell everybody about what's going on. They're not respected. Uh, they're not particularly clean. You know, they sleep with animals all night long. Like, I kind of am a little curious if the only reason the shepherds got the angels notice was because they were the only people in town who slept outside. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, you know, analyzing it too much. But if anybody else was sleeping outside, maybe they would have heard the angels that night. But that's, that's their, their claim to fame is that they slept outside and that they heard the angels because of that. There's one theologian who said that God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty situations among the poor because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world upside down. It's unexpected, but it's worth the wait. But often, again, we miss it, and lots of people missed it with Jesus. Loads of people missed it with Jesus. You know, I, my dog does this to me all the time. I'll pick up my dog because I like to mess with her a little bit. And she's 14 pounds, so she's pretty small. So I'll pick her up and point to her in the mirror and try and get her to look and be surprised at her own reflection. Because I don't know if she knows what she looks like. We've never had that conversation. I'm clueless on this. So I pick her up, and I'm like, Maylee, look in the mirror. Look, look, look. And like... <laughs> She does nothing. You know what she does? She gets excited and she licks my hand. Then she starts licking my face. And then it's just like, oh, it's like, okay, fine, you win, whatever. Set her down and go about my business. But often I think that's what we do with the plans of God. That God's like, come on, look, 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 look. And we're like, oh, that's so nice. You know, like we're completely clueless to what's going on. There's this theologian named N.T. Wright. And he says that often in the Christmas story, all we see is a crib in a barn-like room, when if we would step inside, we would see Jesus in the flesh. We're so busy looking at a wooden structure that we miss what he's actually up to because God's pointing beyond the crib to his plan that he came to enact in our world to bring about. For many of us, we just walk up close enough to be able to look inside where if we would just take a step inside the room, everything would change dramatically. 
So as I begin to end, who is Jesus? Well, verse 11 tells us this about him. He says that he's the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. Savior means deliverer. It means he's the one who came, comes to bring deliverance from all the things that hold on to us, from addictions, from oppression of all types, from systemic oppression. He comes to bring deliverance in every single way. Is that the Jesus you're looking for this Christmas? Messiah or Christ means anointed one. He's the one prepared, the one prophesied about, the one told about. He's the one who we expected to come, but he comes in a way that's not expected. But it's still good because it's what God's plan is. Is that the Jesus that you're looking for this Christmas? And Lord means master. And he's a good master. He's kind. He's gentle. He's loving. I don't know who you've pledged your allegiance to. But if it's anyone other than Jesus, I would beg you, change it to him. He is better, 100% better in all the ways. Is that the Jesus you're looking for this Christmas? And here's why it matters to us. Because all of this is for you. He came for you. He wrote this huge sonnet this love song for you. He came as a baby in a kind of disgraceful way. He lived in a not amazing sort of situation. He suffered. He died for you. But he doesn't stay dead. He came back. He rose from the dead for you. And then he didn't leave us here after that and say, the rest is on you. He sent the Holy Spirit to come and be with us so we could always have him with us at all times. Why? For you. All of this is for you. And this evening, I want to invite us to step inside the manger, not just keep looking at a pretty scene with donkeys and cows and camels with shepherds and angels, but to step inside and to encounter Jesus. And I think when we do, something's going to change in our life. Maybe this is the first time that you've ever encountered Jesus. And all you have to do if that's where you're at is just simply say, Jesus, my name's Stephen. I'd like to meet you. It can be that easy. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, but you need him to break in and change things. And if that's where you're at, I want to invite you to ask him tonight to come and to move. At your seats, most of your seats you should have, I don't actually have one. There's little pieces of paper with like star-like shapes on it. Uh, and there's pencils and stuff like that if you don't have a pen with you. And I want to invite you as we sing this next song, the worship team wants to come up. As we sing this song, to write on that piece of paper, just either your name, because you're introducing yourself for the first time, or to write what it is that you want Jesus to do this Christmas. To say it, just believing that he's going to move. We're not just here to check off a tradition, but we're here because he's alive and that he's moving in our world, and he wants to meet with us in this space. So I want to invite you to do that. We're also, after this song, we're going to take communion so Rob and Liz and Sarah are going to serve. They're going to hand out the communion elements and just hold on to it. We'll, uh, we'll take it together after this song. Uh, but we want to live into this reality that Jesus is here.
and that he wants to change things for us. Let's stand. We're going to sing. Write down on those pieces of paper if you have one. If not, you can do it in any way that you want to. Uh, And let's invite the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus, I thank you that you are here. And I pray that you'll give us courage to take a step inside of the room, to look for you, whether it's for the first time or for a lot more than the first time. And Jesus, I do just pray for miracles, for miracles in the situations that we're asking you to move in, in our lives where we need you to move, in the lives of people we love, in our world. We believe that this Christmas isn't, we're not just looking at a nativity scene, but we're talking to a live Jesus who is here and who is good and who is active. And so we ask for you to come. In Jesus' name, amen.